The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A little later than I wanted to, but we got you there. Saturday, October the 23rd. It is show 23 in 23 days in our wild October of 31 shows in 31 days. This one will be a little bit quicker for a couple of reasons. Number one, games are starting here soon, so uh, this show will rapidly become obsolete once new things happen for the teams in question. And two... It's a weekend. I don't think you guys want a 50-minute podcast on a Saturday. So, that in mind, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. As you know, you can follow me on Twitter by just Google searching Dan from HoopBall. That's the easiest way, or type it in, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is a HoopBall presentation, the HoopBall Fantasy Pass. That's what you guys want right now. Go get it. Get into our Discord. I really mean it, folks. If you're a subscriber already... You need to be in there. It's where we're doing pretty much all of our direct pro Q&A stuff this year. You've got Eric Ong and Ethan Noroff coming up on Sundays. Uh, I've got the Discord live chat on Mondays. I Honestly, I can't remember the exact order of everybody, but Steve Vitovich is in there, Adam King, uh, Dave Williams. Who the hell am I forgetting? Rhett Bauer, our Dynasty guy. I know I'm forgetting somebody, and I'm going to feel really bad if I just miss one, two, one dude. In any event... You got pros coming out of your you-know-what, and they're always in there taking questions from you guys. That's part of the Fantasy Pass subscription. I strongly recommend it. No more lock now. There's no six-month lock now that the season's begun. The lock is to protect draft time uh, data. Five ninety nine a month at hoop-ball.com. As you guys know, the plan of action here, quick uh, scan little quick circle through the NBA for any injury news coming up over the next couple of days here, Uh, even though we are going to have a show again tomorrow. Then, recap of yesterday. Then, we'll preview tonight's stuff, give you guys a little bit of homework. Darius Garland is out tonight. We got that word already, so that sucks. Drew Holiday is probably back. He's been cleared to play, although I know that we've gotten the the full go-ahead on that. Nerlens Noel still doubtful. That's for tomorrow's game that came in. Uh, Jalen Brown apparently now left patella tendinopathy. We always had stuff. He, he's he's got these lingering leg things. Had that giant ball game. Had a really quiet one. He's questionable for the game tomorrow. So if you're sitting on someone like a Josh Richardson, that might be a day where he gets plugged in and does enough to be successful. Terry Rozier, who turned his other ankle, questionable for Sunday's game. Joel Embiid, questionable for Sunday. Andre Drummond, out. No, doubtful for Sunday. Gallo, out for tonight. Capella, still on a minutes cap. The list goes on and on, good friends. Injuries piling up four days into the basketball season so far. But I do want to plow through yesterday's card because I think that's probably what most of you are listening for at this point on a Saturday and afternoon anyway. Indiana lost at Washington. Another heartbreaker for the Pacers, 135-134. Wizards were without Bradley Beal for this ballgame, so Spencer Dinwiddie put up a a tidy little 34-9 with six three-pointers. That really wasn't 
a key element of his game before his injury. So we'll see if that's something that holds a little bit. Not six, of course. But if he is going to take more threes this year, that would help fix one of his areas of issue. He's not going to shoot 54% every ball game. In fact, he's generally one of the lower field goal guys in the NBA. But just kind of enjoy these things. It's all part of the long NBA ride. Kuzma, 26-11. and 11. This is an absolute sell-high moment for him. He's not going to be that good most ball games. Raul Neto picked up 29 minutes, basically filling in for Beal. I know Aaron Holiday got the start, but Neto got a lot of the extra bonus time. And then the guy that everybody's asking about is Daniel Gafford, who played just 18 minutes in this ballgame with Davis Bertans collecting 23 big man minutes and Montrez Harrell collecting 34 big man minutes. And that's always going to be the thing with Washington. They have multiple bigs. Gafford got the start, so he gets the first crack at it, but he wasn't particularly good in this ballgame. Picked up four fouls in his 18 minutes. Did get his two blocks, did go four for five from the field, so he's always going to be able to keep from destroying you fantasy-wise. But just sort of understand, this is the phenomenon of a sleeper. It's generally not going to be like a top 30 dude. Those are the guys who don't have those kinds of off games. And even they have it every once in a while, but you know, not as frequently as we're probably going to get it out of Wizards Big Men. Gafford was... Everybody's favorite sleeper when he was getting drafted at 125 to 140. By the end of draft season, he was going at like 85 or 90, which really wiped out a lot of it. A lot of the value got wiped out. I still think he probably beats that mark, at least while Thomas Bryant is out. So don't panic. Um, And if somebody else is super upset, try floating a top 100 type of low upside guy out there and see if somebody bites said guy maybe getting off to a quick start or something like that. On the indie side, Miles Turner put up a 40-burger in this game. Wow, how about that? Brogdon good, Sabonis good, Duarte inefficient, but played 45 damn minutes, so you can just keep rolling him out there until Karis LeVert shows back up, at which point you probably stop rolling him out there. Knicks at Orlando. I thought about fading the Knicks off their big opening night double overtime victory over Boston, but then I thought, Orlando's really bad. I don't think I can put a wager on the Magic at this point, and I feel good about that decision because the Knicks rolled them. Julius Randle was solid, efficient. He's got some help. People spreading the floor for him now, so perhaps that makes the offensive side a little easier, although, again, this one, kind of a pastry of a matchup for him. Evan Fournier, another good ball game. I think he'll be quietly pretty good this year. Not great. He'll be Evan Fournier, as we talked about all draft season. And then Kemba Walker got off to a great start. He had nine points in his first seven minutes. Uh, Didn't need him, really, after that. Scored two the rest of the way. He'll ease into this thing. The ridiculously low assist number is going to come up. Uh, The target with him for me was always kind of top 75 per game. And maybe that's pushing it, but I think he gets close to it. And Mitchell Robinson will be fine. He had five fouls in 28 minutes. They didn't need him late. On the Orlando side, we did get a little bit of information on the Magic. First of all... We still have no idea what's going on with Jonathan Isaac. That's annoying. We don't really know what's going on with Chuma Okiki, although I think there's an expectation that he's back here pretty soon. At which point, Franz Wagner probably moves to the bench, I would assume. So I'm not racing out to pick him up because Okiki's breathing down his neck. And Chuma's going to get starters minutes once he's ready because the fact, like, looking at this team right now, there's no one behind Wagner. He's it at small forward. Jalen Suggs is better, had 14, 7, and 8, and two steals, did not hit a three-pointer, basically didn't hit field goals in this game. I think he went four for 17. Six for six at the free throw line, though. Um, the thing about this Magic 
team is that the guards in general are really well suited for points leagues. Cole Anthony, what did he go? Three for 14 from the field in this ballgame. So there's this efficiency stuff going on. And then with Suggs, we, we do need, I think we need more information on how much floor spacing he's going to do. I got to think he'll hit more than zero three-pointers in most ballgames. But in terms of Roto right now, he's a tough guy to drop into a lineup. I will say, based on what they've got on the floor right now, maybe he hits nine cat value before things get jammed up. But here's the thing, though. They've been keeping Gary Harris out because, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, Markel Fultz is expected back from his ACL tear within probably the next six to eight weeks, I'd assume. I don't know what the hell the deal is with Michael Carter-Williams. I just assume he's not playing, but he might also squeeze himself back into the mix. All of this stuff is going to make life harder on the other guards. So the question becomes, with a guy like Suggs, can he get his efficiency stuff in line before Markel faults, in particular Markel, before he gets back and everybody gets wedged out by 25 minutes? Is Suggs going to play this year? Yeah. I mean, he was their, he's their, their pick. He was their top guy this, this offseason, so they're going to want to get him out there. But he's not going to have the kind of 30 usage carte blanche that stuff that's going on right now when I would argue, I think I can argue this without having to fight very much, that the Magic's three best players are currently out. Fultz, Okiki, and Jonathan Isaac. Probably not in that order. Isaac, probably the team's best player. Fultz, probably number two when he gets right. Okiki, I mean, you could you could definitely make an argument that Okiki's in there bunched up with a Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., Jalen Suggs, whatever, those guys, fine. Put them all in the same bucket. Either way, Jonathan Isaac is definitely better than these guys, and I would argue Markel Fultz is probably better than these guys. For fantasy purposes... Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba are sharing the floor for 30 minutes a game, which you guys know me. I'm not a big Wendell Carter Jr. fantasy guy, as evidenced by the fact that he doesn't get that many defensive stats. It seems like he should, but he doesn't really. He had a steal and a block in this one. That's fine. Double-doubled with four assists. That was good, too. This was a good ball game for him. But certainly between those two big men, Bamba's the guy. 15 and 10, three threes and two blocks, and six out of nine shooting. That's a terrific fantasy line for Mo. As they get healthy again, Okiki comes back, Isaac comes back. That pushes the big men into the same bucket because Jonathan Isaac is going to probably play a bunch of power forward. Okiki's going to play a bunch of small forward. They could potentially each play at the other one's position. Neither one really belongs at center, which means Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., those guys probably end up splitting the 48 center minutes. Maybe Wendell still gets a couple at power forward at that point, but... This is why I'm low on Wendell Carter Jr. He's he, To me, his fantasy value right now is kind of a ticking time bomb. When the team gets right and he gets pushed into more of a timeshare, then there just won't be enough minutes for him to get there. Would I stash Markel Fultz in 9-cat? Nope. He hasn't shown that he has that fantasy game yet. Okiki, maybe. Mostly because he's back so soon, you could stick him on your team for a couple of ball games, just see what it looks like. I don't think the ceiling is that high for him, but look how bad this team is. Anything is possible. So with that in mind, you probably just grab him and say, if you're in a hyper-competitive league where you're looking for something, anything, 
he could be that something anything if he shows up and is like, you know what, I'm going to take like 14 shots a game this year. Probably not going to happen. But the steals, the threes, some scoring, a little bit of rebounding, it, there's, there's a universe where it's not a, a total mess. Charlotte beat Cleveland 123-112. Miles Bridges, big one, 30-7 and with three steals. Nice to see him keeping the confidence. That was my big worry during draft season. It's really it's why I dodged him because I was just like, look, I don't know if we're going to get confident Miles Bridges from the second half last year when everybody was hurt or if we're going to get Miles Bridges that just sort of fits in. But 24 shots in this ballgame, I think that gives us our answer. No Terry Rozier after the first half, basically. I think he got hurt in the third quarter. He didn't look good, and then he turned his other ankle. I'm guessing he probably misses another ballgame, which means you could probably stream Kelly Oubre for a game if you really wanted to. He got hot in this one. His game is usually more versatile than this, but for the fact that Charlotte really has all the ball handlers they need in LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward. And then generally Terry Rozier, and then in this ballgame, Ish Smith kind of filled on. So with, with Oubre as more of just a scorer... It limits the fantasy appeal. We wanted him rebounding, getting steals, getting blocks. I don't know. To me, it's probably not worth our energy to go stream him for a couple of games, but I get it. Early in the year, short week, all that stuff. Squeeze what you can out of it. LaMelo Ball had some foul trouble in the first half. It's hard to tell because he finished with three fouls. He didn't have any in the second half, but he only played about 12 minutes in the first half. So he was on pace for more like 30 to 32 but for missing whatever it is, three, four minutes of first-half action. Still had a strong game, five steals, eight of 12 shooting. This is ever His first two games, I think, are everything you could have possibly hoped for because the efficiency stuff hasn't really cropped up yet. Will it? Probably. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he just solved the NBA in the offseason. There's always a possibility of that. Sure looks like it so far, but again, limited sample size. And Cleveland is a very bad basketball team. Gordon Hayward still just quietly doing his thing. The issue, I think, with Charlotte right now comes at the center spot. P.J. Washington and Mason Plumley basically split the center minutes in this ballgame. Jalen McDaniels picked up about a buck and a half there. But Plumley 7-14 and 14 in 22 minutes. P.J. Washington 8-5-3 and 3 in 24 minutes. That's bad for both of them. Game one, you saw a lot of Plumley because of Demonis Sabonis on the other side. Here, you got a split because Jared Allen doesn't inspire interior defensive fear in quite the same way, although you did still need Plumley's ability to rebound. I, I, I mean, I guess there's a, a way you could sort of have P.J. Washington or Plumley and get cute with them based on who Charlotte's playing on a given night, but it's looking more and more like neither might have fantasy value, and that's annoying and sucks for those of you that drafted P.J. Washington in the 70s. I feel... Very fortunate I didn't. He was one of those guys where he was low on my board, and many people came on this show and tried to kind of talk me into PJ. I never came around on him. I'm pissed because I did on a couple other guys that also don't, that aren't really that special so far, and maybe we'll come across a few as we go through this box. Uh, but anyway, Cleveland side. Colin Sexton had 33-4, and four, just one assist. I got in trouble on Twitter last night because I mentioned that he wasn't a, a terrific passer and people are like he passed a ton in this game and yeah i mean he passed more than one assist worth but here's the thing if you're a good passer that would level off in the long term to a five and a half six assist kind of guy he's just not that guy he's a high field goal percent 
slasher. He's a very good scorer. 33 points. Five of five free throws. Like, I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out what is true about him. He is an okay rebounding, kind of middling to slightly sub-average passing guard. This was the like this was the Colin Sexton before Darius Garland started to take some control of the team because there was no Garland in this game. This is a good opportunity to probably sell on Colin Sexton, although Garland's set to miss another ball game tomorrow. Big scoring nights, that's going to be your moment. But we saw it last year. It it isn't enough by itself. He's probably a top 100 nine cat fantasy player which just feels insane based on the fact that he has good percentages and good points, but he doesn't hit that many threes, doesn't generally get many steals or blocks. He did have two in this ballgame. Doesn't rebound or pass that much. Get off my back, everybody. Just as I say he doesn't like to pass, doesn't mean that he gets zero assists, but not many, not enough for it to be his thing. He's like just above league average in assists. What was he at four and change last year and most the NBA at uh, the fantasy community at large averaged around like 3.4 or something like that that's not very many more for a high usage guard that's the point i'm trying to make ricky rubio is going to be a dynamite fill-in anytime that garland is out he looked good even when garland played in that first ball game i am very curious what rubio looks like when this team is healthy what is his role going to be because he was very good in that first game but was that the outlier Jared Allen got into foul trouble early. Kevin Love had to get pride out of his lounge chair for 24 minutes. Evan Mobley, another 32. Larry Markin, another 34 minutes. I really don't care about what they did fantasy-wise. By the way, Mobley's line was good. Markinen's was meh. But if they're playing 30-plus minutes, fire him up! You know who you don't need to fire up? Isaac Okoro. He's very much a drop. Brooklyn beat Philadelphia 114-109. I mean, really, Kevin Durant beat Philadelphia. 29-15-12, a triple-double for KD. LaMarcus Aldridge had 23. That was a fat surprise. Joe Harris probably not going to hit fantasy value this year. And then, of course, James Harden, and that's the story on Brooklyn. With Philly, Joel Embiid, Andre Drummond, if all the options at center go down, I truly don't know what they're going to do in their next ball game. Um... Tobias Harris is going to get a lot of shots. Tyrese Maxey is going to get a lot of shots as long as Ben Simmons is out. Danny Green is a drop. Matisse Thybul is, if you need defensive stats, you guys know I love his defensive stuff. He only had one in this game, which I think you can blame on KD and Harden. And then uh, Seth Curry. When he's warm, man, he is actually a really helpful fantasy player because he, he gets you those threes without tanking your field goal percent. That's a weird and underappreciated stat type. I actually think Seth's going to have a pretty good year this season. I don't, like, it's not going to be that good. 23 points, four threes, a steal, two blocks, but remember, he got wiped out by COVID last year. He had some injuries. He just wasn't quite all the way there. Just played 57 ball games and shot 47% from the field, but he was still 45% from downtown. Still average 12 and a half, two and a half, two and a half. But again, the missed games, coming back slowly, all of that stuff I thought weighed really heavily on him. And with no Ben Simmons, they're going to need him to take a couple extra shots. He's not going to shoot 77% for the season, 
but he's going to get some opportunities. So I think if he's flowing around out there, he's a really interesting guy to buttress your threes while also kind of helping in field goal percent. The fact that he's, like, you don't need to actually be a net positive in field goal percent to be helpful when you're providing threes like that. It's sort of a double boost in effect. Toronto beat Boston by a lot, which again raises questions of what the Raptors are really going to be when they get kind of down into the muck. Scotty Barnes, brilliant game, 25 and 13. He's rolling here way faster than I ever expected. He looks like he might be the rookie that was worth taking because his ADP never skyrocketed the way that the other guys did. Cades was super high. We haven't seen him play. I'm sure he's going to do some good stuff. Jalen Greens was really high. Suggs actually was moving up the board, not quite as fast. Josh Giddy went way up the board. Again, a lot of it was too quickly. And then Barnes, he was sort of slowly climbing, but didn't get quite the same hoopla because he really is more of a defensive presence. I mean, this is this is remarkable. He's not going to do this most ball games, and I think you probably don't even quite see this much usage most ball games. But still, that's a guy that absolutely needs to be on rosters. Freddie Van Fleet will be fine. He's a buy low right now. Gary Trent Jr. with four steals in this ballgame. That's most likely not going to hold. Although I think we'd be happy if he was at like 1.2 for the year. That would be considered a win in my book. More efficient because not all of his shots needed to be three-pointers. That was a pretty good sign for him. I still don't think Gary Trent hits nine-cat fantasy value. He's very much a points league option in every respect. But nine cat, he's probably just on the outside looking in. Fits a bit more in that streamer mold. Chris Boucher got 20 minutes in this game. That's up a couple from the season opener. And if we see that continue to trend towards 22 to 24, that's really all we'd need. OG Ananobi had another terrible shooting game. He's also a buy low. And then Precious Achua got off to a really good start in this one. 15 points, 15 rebounds in 25 minutes. Also had a couple of steals. It's not entirely clear what Toronto's going to do with their front court. There may be some hot handing going on. Precious was that guy early in this game. And this is this was everything that they could have hoped for and more. This is way better than his typical scoring and rebounding rate in his young career. I, I don't know what's going to happen exactly when Pascal Siakam comes back. That probably moves Barnes first, unless they slide everybody down and bring Gary Trent off the bench. Achua probably continues to start at center. But again, it's going to be about balancing the minutes. Is right now, is it Achua and Boucher kind of balancing minutes? Kem Birch is also in the mix. Boucher backing up power forward as well. It's a little goofy. And actually, Boucher was kind of one of those guys where you, I got talked into it a little bit. He wasn't someone I was targeting. He kept falling into the late 70s and 80s in drafts, and I thought, well, this is probably where you take a little bit of a shot. If it hits, it's a big boost to your team, and if it doesn't, it's not the worst thing in the world. But he was never a guy I was targeting. He was one of those guys that kind of kept falling and falling and falling because of the logjam, and he ended up in my lap a bunch of times. And I'll admit, I'm skeptical that he can get back to the 24 minutes he had last year. Because his minutes were all over the board, remember? He had some games where he played 31, and he had games where he played like a dozen. And that's the Nick Nurse thing with a guy who's not super consistent on the defensive side. But is one of the most ridiculous fantasy stat guys on planet Earth. 
Al Horford came back off the COVID list. That was good to see. Double-doubled with four blocks. His minutes will slowly increase. Time Lord, nine and six with three blocks. This is probably a bit more what you were hunting for when you drafted him. That first ball game was crazy. Jason Tatum was uh, playing better, but not good enough. Jalen Brown was terrible. Marcus Smart was even worse. Josh Richardson had four three-pointers, but this was really just an ugly game all around for Boston. You kind of throw it out other than noting that Horford's back, and that means Grant Williams is no longer relevant. New Orleans, there's a bad team. Lost 128-112 in Chicago. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, six defensive stats in this game. So far, we haven't seen any of the inefficiency stuff that worried me the most about him. I do think it ultimately does come back into play, but he should have pretty much all that he can handle right now. Devontae Graham, Brandon Ingram, JV... Nikhil Alexander-Walker, those four guys are going to be taking all of the shots for this team. And so that should be enough for Nas' fantasy value. And then the question becomes, what happens when Josh Hart and Zion come back? How does that squeeze the team? JV will lose some playing time, most likely. I don't think they really wanted him playing 33 minutes, but it's not enough to worry me. I love I love Valanciunas' fantasy game. Devontae Graham probably loses a couple of shots in this mix. But then Nick Alexander-Walker, I mean, he, he's the guy right now that's kind of Josh Hart parallels him on the, the floor. They're both shooting guards, basically, and that just creates a little bit of a cluster. Do they want to continue to, to develop him? Will he have plenty of role on this team? Yes. The answer to that is a, is a firm yes, but the inefficiencies continue to scare me. And I think this is probably a sell high, if anything, although I don't know how much you could get at that point anyway. Lonzo Ball, triple-double, 17-10-10. Zach Levine, big game. Vooch didn't need to shoot very much, but he did it everywhere else. DeMar DeRozan had 26. Everything going according to plan for Chicago against a very bad New Orleans team that still doesn't know how to play defense. I will say that Patrick Williams continues to be the guy that everybody was trying to sell me on on Chicago, and I kept looking at it like, what's left? He doesn't rebound that much. He doesn't get defensive stats all that much. So what's left? That one, that one, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't draft him anywhere. I'm hoping someone can still kind of talk me into it, but I don't see it. And that's okay. I mean, if you took him, you took him in your 15th round pick anyway. Hey, speaking of terrible teams, I don't know that anybody's worse than OKC right now. The Thunder just got blown out by 33 by probably one of the other worst teams in the NBA, and that's Houston. And I think the Thunder are going to be just a feeding ground for teams all season long. Or at least that's what it looks like right now. Because Christian Wood had 29 and 14 on only 18 shots. Kevin Porter had 20 and 9. Jay Sean Tate, 16, 14, and 6. Eric freaking Gordon had 22 in this ballgame. Yeah, life was good. In terms of OKC, they continue to be a club that I completely avoided going into this year. I took Derek Favors with my last round pick in a couple of spots. I've already dropped him because as soon as the word came out that he wasn't ready basically to start the year, there was no point in messing around with that. Lou Dort still can't shoot. Darius Baisley still can't really shoot. Uh, Shea can shoot, but he has no help, so teams can just key in on one guy. And Josh Giddy, everybody went... I'm not going to make the dumb joke there. Everybody went nuts for him too soon. Of all of the guys on this team, certainly Shea is going to be better than this. You could probably get him for, like, your sixth-round pick right now because someone's going to be panicking. Head-to-head, head, I don't want anything to do with it because this team is absolutely tanking right from day one this year. 
the lack of any real veteran presence on the team was a pretty good example of that. So, Roto, yeah, I think you make a play for Shea. And then head-to-head, the only other name I think on this team, even worth monitoring at all, is probably Giddy because he's starting, he's this electrifying young player who begins, I would guess, to figure out the NBA game after like two, two and a half months. That's about how long it takes these rookie guards to kind of settle in. Pokashevsky had a better, better ball game here, but I don't think he's going to get enough minutes for it to matter either. That's why I would lean Giddy because he's going to start, his minutes are going to trend up, his opportunity is going to trend up. And at some point, they're just not even going to pretend like they care about the game, and they'll just say, all right, go do whatever the hell you want. Figure this thing out. I cannot afford to stash him. I'm in leagues that are way too competitive. I want to try to get off to a decent start, which is hard right now with Bradley Beal on the shelf, and I have him on, like, every single damn team because of how many times I ended up on the turn in my drafts. That's a hard way to start when your number one pick goes down after one ball game, but hopefully he'll be back pretty soon. We'll see. We'll weather the storm. It's more psychological for me than anything else. Uh, but I can't I can't really squat on guys for as long as it probably takes. It's cool to be the first person to say something. I get it. But we also have to know when the time is right to pounce. And right now, some of these young guys, doesn't even have to be young guys, young guys or just buzz guys in general that everybody just wanted to be ahead of the curve on so badly. It's so nice to be able to be a fantasy analyst and then claim these victories. I was first on so-and-so. It's why I so sheepishly accept the, that Kelly Olynyk mantle because we were I was too early on him. I don't feel like I deserve the credit for Kelly Olynyk in Houston simply because I was like, yeah, we're squatting on him in Miami. We squatted too early. He never quite got over the hump with the Heat. Great, we looked brilliant when he got traded and we had Kelly Olynyk everywhere, but that was a little bit of good luck also. Meanwhile, Houston side, it's never going to be as bad as it was on opening night. It's never going to be as good as it was here against the Thunder until their next game with the Thunder, perhaps. Christian Wood only took one free throw. That's good. Uh, Kevin Porter didn't get bit by his inefficient stuff because of the competition. That's good. Jay Sean Tate got you know near starters minutes. That's good. We were sitting on him because I love his steals and his field goal percent. And if anything else made headway in the offseason, that was a really positive thing. And no, you're not picking up Aaron Gordon. Please, Lord, no. San Antonio, losers in Denver. Nuggets off to a 2-0 start behind Nikola Jokic. Giant ball game for Jokic. Will Barton was pretty good again. He's definitely a start right now. Michael Porter Jr. was bad in this ball game. 7-1 with a steal, only 10 shots. Don't like that. Monte Morris, Will Barton, each taking more shots in that game than Michael Porter Jr. He's very much a buy low. You're going to have a tough time prying him away from somebody that spent pick 25 on him, but you might be able to get him for, like, your late fourth, early fifth, depending on how that player's going. Because we know MPJ's got the upside. This just isn't... This is not who he is. I wonder if if maybe there's something going on, because he's only taken 10 shots in each of his first two games. 6 of 10 in the opener, 3 of 10... In game two, his opener actually wasn't bad. 15, 6, and 5 with a couple of steals. Good percentages. But, like, look at last year. This is a guy that he didn't take 10 sh- I mean, early in the season, he was in the he was in the 10 range for a little bit. But particularly once Jamal Murray went down, you were talking 13, 14, 15, 16 shots a game, sometimes more, handful of free throws. It'll get better. 
I can promise you that. On the Spurs side, we're just we're watching and waiting. Doug McDermott played 31 minutes in this ballgame, which is interesting only because I don't know who's taking his job. DeJounte Murray, Jakob Pertl, Keldon Johnson, Derek White, Doug McDermott. The starters basically all played starters minutes, with the lone exception being Pertl, who only got 26. They went small for stretches. Not that brief. Lonnie Walker played 20 minutes again. Devin Vassell played 20 minutes again. I think anybody on those two guys is probably... Well, Walker doesn't have much of a fantasy game. Vassell will, probably. But, again, it's too soon. Derek White was a guy we targeted in fantasy drafts pretty much everywhere. I, I kept calling him the... Everyone's like, everybody, I, I think what I said in fantasy draft time was, everybody's talking about DeJounte Murray. Derek White's going two rounds later, and he might beat him this year. Probably won't. Murray probably wins that head-to-head, but, like, look at this. Derek White, three, two threes, two steals, two blocks, eight assists, and the field goal percent wasn't even all that great. Keldon Johnson had 27 points, but we also saw the problems with Keldon, which is only four rebounds. I mean, that's really your power forward on that team. Three steals is not sustainable for him. We saw last year he's not a defensive stat guy. He's a points leaguer. I am interested in Doug McDermott, though. The, the fact that he only took six shots was a pretty big downer. Uh, but we saw when he got big-time minutes in Indiana last year, he was a pretty useful threes and high percentages guy. Which we just talked about with uh, Seth Curry. McDermott probably rebounds a little bit better. Just a bigger dude. I'm not racing not to pick him up. Don't get me wrong here. But I have one eye on him. Utah-Sacramento was a game without much in the way of surprises. Rudy Gobert, 17-20. and 20. I still don't really know how I became the Rudy Gobert guy during, in draft season this year. I just felt like he wasn't getting any respect despite doing the same easy, simple stuff year over year. He's number 34, by the way, after two ball games, but the rebounds are nuts. He hasn't even blocked any shots yet. And he's making his free throws, although that, friends, that will come down. Don't get used to it. Uh, Royce O'Neal, don't care. Mike Conley's Mike Conley. Donovan Mitchell's Donovan Mitchell. Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, probably streamer level. Joe Ingles got ejected from this ballgame, so that meant uh, a little bit more probably Boyan more than anything else. Jordan Clarkson, maybe. I, I don't know. Like He took a ton of shots. That's his shtick. Sacramento, um, Davian Mitchell, I've, I've had some questions about him. He's a really good defender, but he's not a part of almost anything Sacramento's going to do on offense. So you saw it in this ballgame. Four steals, but pretty much nothing else. So I'll pass for now. And uh, there's no guarantee with him coming off the bench. He's actually going to get consistent minutes. A lot of things to like about the Kings so far. Tyrese Halliburton with a bounce-back game. Efficient fantasy line, 15-3-6, three steals, a block, good shooting, Harrison Barnes, 15 rebounds. Hello, first-round pick Harrison Barnes through the first week of the season. (laughs) You know what's funny is I don't even know what you could get for him right now, but whatever it is, you should try to do it. See if you can go get somebody's, like, late fifth, early sixth-round pick for Harrison, because this is not going to keep up all season long. I'm sure of it. Rashawn Holmes fouled out in 17 and a half minutes, but he did have six and 10 with three blocks beforehand. Oh, we do love ourselves, Rashawn. And Buddy Heald, six threes off the bench. He's in a good role this year. 
Finally, Phoenix and LA, no surprises here either. Chris Paul, 23 and 14. CP3 not going anywhere. Averaging 19 and 12 with a couple of steals on brilliant percentages through his first two ball games. Oh, man. Had no intention of being the Chris Paul guy again this year. And again, we ended up as the Chris Paul guy because for, well, well actually, you know what's funny is Yahoo moved him into that like number 26 pre-rank slot for a couple of days. And every draft I had in that little window, Chris Paul went at the beginning of the third round. So he didn't generally get back to me. Every other draft I did, remember early on, his Yahoo pre-rank was like 34, 35, so he always got back to me in the third. And then at the very end of draft season, those last two and a half days, remember Yahoo made that last adjustment? They moved him back to 29, so I was able to get him early third again there, even kind of into the mid-third. So I ended up with a couple of Chris Pauls. Love it. Love it. I was happy he fell to me. The place where I have him and Nikola Jokic on the same team, that one's in decent shape for uh, assists and percentages so far. Uh, Mikael Bridges bounced back. He's going to be great. DeAndre Aiden's going to be fine. Devin Booker's going to be overdrafted like always, and you guys know the story with Phoenix. Over on the Lakers side, Anthony Davis made free throws. That's really important. I know that a lot of his game uh, in this one wasn't great. He shot 6 for 18 from the field, but 14 rebounds and 9 of 11 at the foul line is really refreshing that's like ultra deep sigh or deep breath i guess after that horrible free throw shooting opener and just bad free throw shooting all of last year and even in the preseason and we're gonna hang on to whatever looks good again i didn't get anthony davis anywhere i passed on him at the turn every single time because i was worried about the free throw stroke more even more than the russell westbrook effect and i mean i still am hoping it works i'm hoping he's good again even though it's going to be against me, mostly because I'm a Laker fan. But also because that yip stuff is tough. LeBron was fine. He's going to have a down season. I think we all knew that. And then Westbrook nearly triple-doubled, but you guys got a full flavor of Russ here. Four turnovers, three for eight foul shots, and six for 15 shooting. Being good in three categories does not outweigh being terrible in three. That's... Just the way it is. In terms of what's coming up this evening, uh, I want to remind you guys, please, if you're enjoying this podcast and you're and you're liking the whole 31 shows in 31 days bit, or you're just like, Dan, thank you for talking so much in the month of October. Um, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. If you want to drop a five-star review, if you want to write something that's delightful as well, you don't have to. Um, like I've said, sometimes I'm willing to, to read the funny stuff on the air. But again, you don't have to, but if you have 90 seconds or whatever it takes, go to the podcast app on your mobile device or iTunes on a computer, search for Fantasy NBA Today, click on the show title, and drop that five-star review on it. We will be forever grateful. The subscribe button actually is also very important to us here. And uh, got a few of you writing in again about some of the openings we've been pushing here at Hoopball, namely the sales side of the operation. That's kind of a new one. We haven't recruited for that in a couple of years. Always looking for fantasy writers, always looking for DFS contributors, always looking for folks that want to cover teams on the non-fantasy side of the ledger. You can hit me up on all of that on Twitter at Dan Vespers or, again, email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com for more information. Tonight, I actually have an early game that took off an hour before everybody else. I screwed that up. So Atlanta-Cleveland is already underway. 
Oopsies. Sorry about that. Uh, again, no Darius Garland for another ball game. I think they're hoping to have him back by the next one, which means you should get a pretty steady dose of Ricky Rubio. Uh, presumably a pretty steady dose of Colin Sexton, although I guess he's off to a slow start. They're only seven and a half minutes in. On the Atlanta side, we're paying attention to who gets the minutes. Bogdan Bogdanovich in early foul trouble. That's going to throw a wrench into our plans already. DeAndre Hunter looks like he's pretty safely locked in as well. Other games for tonight. By the way, Atlanta, Cleveland kind of squeezes in there as a potential homework assignment. Miami, Indiana, not much homework to do there as far as I'm concerned. Dallas, Toronto, yes, that is on your list. Please watch that ball game or as much of it as you can handle. Dallas looking to bounce back after a really ugly opener. We know Luka, we know KP, those guys will be fine. Can anyone else get on the board? Believe it or not, I think Dorian Finney-Smith probably finishes as the third-ranked fantasy dude on that team, even ahead of Tim Hardaway Jr. Toronto, how do they split the center minutes? What's Gary Trent Jr. actually going to be? Game by game, we sort of figure this thing out. Scotty Barnes, there's a lot of storylines with the Raps. Pelicans stink, but they're in Minnesota for what should be a a pretty fun, high-scoring ballgame. I think that's the highest total on the board. Uh, No, Phoenix-Portland actually by a half point. It's going to be high-scoring, though. Minnesota, we understand already. Pelicans, I think we have a pretty good idea of what's going on out there, but game-to-game, it's it's all about who actually makes the bucket. Chicago, yeah, I mean, they've isolated their fantasy value into stars. Detroit, still no Cade. This is actually a rematch game, by the way. Chicago just beat Detroit in Detroit by six points. Pistons were five-point underdogs. I'm actually surprised this line only moved from five to eight. I guess Chicago played, yeah, yeah, there's a back-to-back going on for the Bulls. So it would have gone from five to ten, which I guess is fine. Slightly into the Detroit side, I, although I guess I, I just don't know if they have the firepower to keep up. We'll keep an eye on Isaiah Stewart and Kelly Olynyk. That's kind of the only storyline with the Pistons while Cade is still out. Milwaukee expecting to get Drew Holiday back. That should bring them... Uh, I mean, they should be fine. I don't know why they just didn't show up for that heat game. Wink, wink, nod, nod, South Beach, even in a tail end of a pandemic. Spurs, they're, I don't know, man. I don't think I don't think Doug McDermott really has the fantasy value to support it, but he got starters minutes, so you have to at least pay attention to it. And then with Milwaukee, it sounds like Brooke Lopez is still out. My guess is they'll just go to Giannis at center quite a bit. They have a center whose name I simply can't pronounce, so I'm not even going to try, that he'll probably get about 18 minutes there also. Phoenix on the back-to-back in Portland. This is a pretty tough one, flying from L.A. up to Oregon. Guessing they got in pretty late last night, although they didn't. The Lakers fought them, so Phoenix did have to play to the end. This is a good opportunity for Portland to try to kind of steal one from a better team. We're watching Larry Nance Jr. That's pretty much it on the Portland side. Norm Powell, slow first game opportunity for maybe a buy low here if he has another one that's not as good. Memphis and the Clippers, that's your other homework assignment, folks. Dallas, Toronto, and Memphis and L.A. I got them three hours apart, so you got plenty of time to watch one and then watch the other, although I admit I'm going to be watching a little bit of baseball playoffs in there. Memphis, DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain, Steven Adams, Slow Mo, who didn't play as many minutes, all these names to watch. Clippers, Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, Terrence Mann, Nick Batum when he gets back. Marcus Morris. These two teams are probably in my like four most interesting fantasy teams to watch right now because so many clubs, and this is weird for this year, so many clubs are pretty much set. 
and we knew it. It's weird, man. We Like I said yesterday, we've kind of hit terminal velocity on fantasy knowledge going into a season where there are just very few surprises. There are a couple of teams where you look at them, you're like, okay, that's a thing that could be interesting. That's a team that could be interesting. And that's an angle that could be interesting. And then you just watch them for two or three games, and then we know. The ebb and flow, the waves of fantasy pieces of information that come during a season really concentrated right now in just a couple of spots. And those two games I mentioned, Dallas-Toronto and uh, Memphis-LA, LAC, I should say, that's, that's it. Those four teams are like probably the main four. One or two other ones trickling in, but that's the big stuff. So pay attention to those games. We'll assess it all tomorrow because 31 Shows in 31 Days continues on Sunday Another show tomorrow that will also be brought to you by our friends at Manscaped.com. Go get something today. Come on, man. Come on, man. Uh, Manscaped.com. Coupon code we've got for you is HoopBall20, which gets you 20% off and free shipping on your order of whatever grooming. uh, They say male grooming. You could probably use it on anybody. There's a hairy female in your life. That's fine, too. I have not tried it on an animal yet. But it does. I think the Lawnmower 4.0 comes with uh, a couple of clippers. So if you got uh, a relatively short hair talk, you could probably trim them too. Oh, Manscaped, they're never going to sponsor me again after that read. Um, Hoopball20 is the code 20% off and free shipping. And we didn't do it in a half an hour because I talk too damn much. I'm Dan Bespers for Fantasy NBA Today. I'll talk to you guys on Twitter. We're doing a lot of stuff there. We ended up with a. Uh, rate my trade thread yesterday. Probably not going to do that stuff over the weekend. I'll, I'll save some of my other social media ideas for Monday, but I'd love to see you over there because I do a lot of my business on the socials. Okay, that's it. Have a great Saturday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.